Hello, everyone. Welcome to Every Kind of Mind, a podcast all about exploring different types of minds and celebrating neurodiversity. We will go on this journey with me, Janice Miskevich, and Janice Lee, as your hosts. Today, we will be covering dyscalculia, a math learning disorder that makes mastering mathematical concepts difficult despite effort. Our guest today is Dr. David Geary, a cognitive developmental and evolutionary psychologist from the University of Missouri-Columbia. And just to kind of start off our podcast, um, just would you like to state your name and pronouns, please? Um, sure, I'm uh, Dave Geary. Um, I don't I don't do pronouns. I like to keep people guessing. So mm-hmm. although we briefly discussed your work, what is your field of study and occupation in a bit more detail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm a uh, curator's distinguished professor in psychological sciences and neuroscience at the uh, University of Missouri. I mostly study um, cognition as related to um, student learning of um, various mathematical uh, concepts and skills all the way from preschool. And um, right now we're, we're working on algebra. Very nice. Yeah, so I just kind of want to know, but like, how did you get like started in this field? Like what made you kind of want to learn more about just like how like people learn math? <clears throat> yeah, so I started on this in uh, graduate school. Um, kind of taking a cognitive science approach, looking at how people solve, in this case, arithmetic problems. You can measure how long it takes, how accurate they are. Then you can use certain types of statistical techniques to um, estimate the types of processes, mental or cognitive processes they're engaged in while they're solving the problems. And then you can estimate how much time it takes, you know, 50 milliseconds to do this. 100 milliseconds to do this or whatever. You can estimate how long it takes for people to do those um, types of processes. So started that with with adults and then um, focused more on kids and development once I finished graduate school. Uh, Started focusing on um, lower achieving kids. And um, that's largely our focus now, although we, we study the, the full range of kids. And I said, you know, full, full range of competencies from preschool through high school algebra. Yeah, okay, that's so nice to hear. So as we mentioned that you focus on dyscalculia. So for those who may not be aware or want to learn more, I know I am, what is dyscalculia? Yeah, so dys, uh, dyscalculia comes from the neuropsychological literature started in adult neuropsychology when somebody has a stroke, certain part of the brain or a tumor or some other type of uh, brain injury, it can result in general or specific deficits in number arithmetic processing or other types of things. So that kind of helped localize where this information is being represented and uh, processed. And, and, and so that comes from the adult neuropsych literature. Um, <clears throat> after that, it began to be 
um, applied to kids. So uh, pediatric neuropsych, so looking at kids with brain tumors or other types of uh, or congenital problems that led to difficulties with math learning. Um, I did a review quite a long time ago now, 1990s, looking at that literature and um, in the cognitive processes involved in brain processes and doing the same with kids who have just low achievement on math achievement tests, often called math learning disabilities or math difficulties. Um, and, and they overlap to quite a bit, <clears throat> uh, quite a bit. Now, that doesn't mean that kids with math, uh, low math achievement have some type of brain injury or not. Most of them don't, but the same processes seem to be uh, disrupted. Uh, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know it started off with understanding like the brain after maybe certain injuries. Right. Um, is dyscalculia ever associated with anything else beyond math abilities or is it strictly just on math? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So if, if we look at the neuropsych literature, sometimes it is associated with um, what's called uh, Gertzman syndrome. So you don't, uh, finger agnosia, you can't identify your, your uh, pointer finger or pinky finger or whatever and some type, it, it's be, because the areas of the brain that are involved in representing the number stuff and some of the um, knowledge of uh, spatial representations, hand representations, so forth are, are overlapping. Um, <clears throat> if we look at kids who are just, aren't doing well on math achievement tests, uh, they, they don't have typically those same types of problems. Um, but they, they may have other problems like attentional issues. Yeah, I also found it very interesting to just like, to again, to see like how it all started with just like, I have like trauma or tumors. So that's like, you know, how we learned a lot of different things about the brain. Like are there differences in like how like the math deficits like between someone like who just like has had dyscalculia throughout their entire life and then one who just got it maybe later in life either due to like a stroke or just a brain injury or a tumor? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so if we look at the adult neuropsych, you know, somebody who's 40 or 50 or so forth has a stroke or some type of brain injury, and then you look at the deficits, what you're looking at are deficits that occur due to specific problems and specific areas for a fully developed brain. Um, you can't directly take that information and map it on to kids and say, well, you know, a seven-year-old who has, you know, deficits in this area, but not this area will look like this older neuropsych patient. Uh, and in fact, there's been a fair amount of brain imaging work now and EEG and other sorts of work looking at um, uh, the brain and cognitive processes involved in math cognition and math learning you know, typical development as well as um, kids who are having difficulties. And there are some differences between the brain regions involved in learning math versus being an expert in it and then losing it later on. I see. Um, I guess I wanna go back to discussing the math abilities in individuals with dyscalculia. So how are they different compared to those without this condition, specifically the math skills? Yeah, so <clears throat> typically 
you would assess, you know, if you have a, like a school population, we would give standardized achievement tests and reading and math and so forth. And, and the kids we would consider as at risk would be those that are scoring below the 10th percentile in particular, um, multiple years in a row. So you can take an achievement test and, you know, people have bad days, kids have bad days. And so they may bomb it one year. Um, so they have a low score one year and their average or so the next year, they don't have any cognitive deficits that we found in our studies, like working memory, attentional control, and so forth. They're fine on those. They, they just had a bad day when they took the test. But if you have kids who are consistently low um, across years, then you, you do see um, deficits in them. And if you're working in schools, you might call them math disabled. If you're working in a neuropsych clinic, you might call it dyscalculia. Um, but one, one thing that often stands out is, is that they have deficits in working memory and attentional control. So you're giving them something to focus on um, and that they need to kind of hold some of that information in mind and operate on some other information to solve a problem. So a lot of math problems have multiple parts. So you have to keep kind of one partial answer in mind while you're doing something else and then add them together. So if you're doing like multi-column arithmetic or something like that and, and keeping that information, kind of the partial information in mind while you're doing other things is difficult for these kids. I, I think their attention slips during the process. And so they begin to forget that information. Um, so that, that would be called kind of a domain general problem that would affect things like reading acquisition, reading comprehension, as well as math. Um, there are also some kids who may have um, number specific problems. And so there are areas of the brain that are involved in representing and interpreting number words, Arabic numerals, or just a general intuitive sense of quantity. And there can be um, difficulties in those areas. Um, there can also be difficulties in the areas involved in actually learning to memorize things. Um, it's called the hippocampal dependent learning system. And a lot of the kids that have these issues have issues with say, remembering that uh, two and three is five or eight times four is um, 32. And, and so they, yeah. they have a specific memory deficit. That's actually a different part of the brain than the kind of the representational part. I really liked your answer. I just really like how it covered more about um, it's not just always numbers, but there are some other skills associated with dyscalculia. So thanks right. for sharing that. Right. Yeah. So, so you're saying that there's kind of like different, almost like types of dyscalculia then, but there's like the mostly just like attentional sort of problems. And then those that have like just number problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably that's the case. I, I think many kids who have, um, uh, you know, are, are scoring low on math achievement tests ac across grades, have this working memory attentional control um, issue that kind of makes the math learning, it, it doesn't make it impossible, it, it just slows it down. So they mm -hmm. can kind of um, uh, stay, stay behind. But there are kids who are fine on those 
um, measures, attentional control, working memory, and so forth, but they have more specific difficulties with um, number representation and number processing. And, and those kids are probably less common than the general attentional working memory deficit kids, but, but they are there. Yeah, so is it kind of known like how like how these kids like get dyscalculia? Is there known like genetic risks or environmental risks? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, if, if you're in a neuropsych clinic, normally the kid would be there because they have some congenital problem or they've been injured in an accident or something. So it's clear that there's something wrong to start with. Then they then you do a you know large battery of tests and say, okay, there's problems in number math or whatever due to this. If you look at a more general uh, school population, uh, you know, there, there's no obvious for, for the vast majority of them, uh, you know, brain injuries or other, other types of um, things that would send them to, to the hospital for, for a neuropsych <clears throat> evaluation. So probably it's just normal variation inattentional control, uh, working memory, um, and, and we, which is partly heritable. Uh, and there are also important instructional factors. So kids with dyscalculia or math um, difficulties do learn math, it just the rate is a little bit slower and they may need some um, instructional scaffolds in particular areas. And if they, they get those, they'll, they, they will improve. Yeah, so, so like if someone like is given like, hey, like you have dyscalculia, so is that just like what they need to do? They need like specific sort of like math training to help improve in their skills? Yeah, there have been um, some studies. So early on, a lot of these kids, as I said, have problems memorizing basic facts and some brain imaging work I, I collaborated on with, with a group at Stanford um, identified the hippocampus as being kind of involved in that, in the interactions between the frontal areas of the brain, which is involved in working memory, attentional control, and hippocampus, kind of forming long-term uh, memories. Yeah. Does this relate to, I read about how you were an investigator in a study that focused on mathematical development from preschool through high school. So mm -hmm. going back to what we were just talking about, are there ways that caregivers or teachers can perhaps foster children's math abilities before and maybe even during school year and mm -hmm. um, such as like extra math tutoring contests or even like games? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. And exactly what you would do would depend on the age of the, of the kid and uh, what sort of um, difficulties they might be having. For um, younger kids, like preschool kids, um, you know, having kids learn how to count and, you know, enumerate one, two, three, four, when they're counting something, uh, you know, a lot of parents do that. Um, having them compare, say a set of three toys and label it as three to a set of four toys and having them compare which is more, which is less, which is a more complex activity. Those types of ac activities seem to foster early number development in uh, pre-kindergarten kids. Uh, and most parents, when they do their, their number stuff with their kids, they're just doing counting and labeling, which isn't really helping their conceptual development as much as 
we would hope would happen. Um, kids, kids with learning difficulties, uh, as I said, can't can learn math and there are specific interventions, most of them for elementary school kids that have been done by uh, Lynn Fuchs uh, at uh, Vanderbilt, Nancy Jordan at the University of Delaware for fractions types of things um, that can help kids. Some of these interventions have been shown to kind of normalize the hippocampic learning system. So intensive practice with certain types of things early on in development can make the brain responses to arithmetical processing more typical. So they, they are having uh, help. Uh, kids who are behind extensive tutoring, organized tutoring with some explicit instruction um, will almost certainly make them better like they will, would make anybody else uh, better. I, I like to encourage uh, parents to um, do mathematical enrichment with kids if they can, because a lot of the um, uh, math instruction you get in schools isn't as rigorous as, as we would hope, at least in the U.S. Yeah, so I don't know, so, yeah, so like going to school, like how are certain ways that like schools can like help kids that are doing, that are struggling with dyscalculia, especially since like math is like a core subject? Yeah, yeah, they they really need to do well in math or, or at least get um, the minimal skills necessary to get a good job and to maybe move up to management or whatever at, at some point. And, and that takes uh, a lot of effort. Um, as I said, there, there are some specific interventions that have been developed to help with early number skills or fraction understanding and so forth. Um, unfortunately, the field is kind of several decades behind the intervention fields and say reading because the U.S. just put more emphasis and research money into reading interventions than math interventions. So they're being developed and they are um, helpful, but we don't have a good system of interventions that I think we're going to eventually need for low achieving kids. So you're low achieving here, you get this intervention in you know, the first couple of grades and then in fourth and fifth, you have fractions related interventions and maybe middle school, you focus on pre-algebraic sorts of things. So some additional explicit instruction in core concept areas, um, understanding of numbers, the relations between them, understand conceptual understanding fractions are, are critical in the early years. Do you think like the school system only prioritizes maybe a certain skill set to learn math right now, or you feel like they're covering a good holistic approach to it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question. That, that actually varies across countries. Um, in the US, there has been a tendency for uh, state curriculums and frameworks to wanna cover everything, uh, which means that nothing gets covered in depth. And so there's been, been a push the last few years to focus the early curriculum a little bit more. And that focus is um, on arithmetic, whole number, rational number, uh, arithmetic, not only just learning to solve problems, but also conceptually understanding numbers and fractions and, and so forth. Because that um, foundation in arithmetic is critical for later success in um, algebra. 
fact, I, I just worked with some folks in, uh, on a project funded by the Gates Foundation. We looked at 1.1 um, million kids across three US states, California, um, Washington State, and Idaho. And we had data from, we had four years of longitudinal data. So we had like fourth to seventh grade or fifth to eighth grade across these kids. And we were interested in what the early skills were that predicted later success in traditional algebra one topic areas. Uh, and the success at the basic curriculum, which is arithmetic focused in the early years was, was really a very strong predictor of later algebra related outcomes. And, and, and that was true for everybody, regardless of sex, gender, race, um, IEP status, what, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I know like I read a little more about your like university of like Missouri, just like math study where you're just studying like the cognitive skills present in children that predict successes in math. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could even talk about like more uh, predictors for mathematical success. Yeah. So the uh, MU math study we have done a number of um, longitudinal studies, a kindergarten to ninth grade study, you know, a 10 year study, essentially. We did a pre-K, which was two years before kindergarten, kindergarten, first year, uh, first grade. So it's a four year longitudinal study. We're currently doing a sixth to ninth grade study focused on algebra. And we're just finishing up data collection on that one. Um, the preschool study was interesting. Uh, I think anyway, because what we were interested in was figuring out what are the core things that, you know, these three and four-year-olds, they say a four-year-old needs to know to be ready to uh, learn formal mathematics at the beginning of first grade, controlling for things like working memory and IQ and family background and so forth. And so we, what we found was that the uh, age at which kids acquired a conceptual understanding of the cardinal value of numbers. So we have the number word four, when they understand that, okay, that represents four cats, four dogs, or two cats and two dogs together, or four toys or four cookies, they kind of generalize that number word. Then they begin to know, okay, well, five is just one more than four because it's next on the counting string and so forth. And so what, what we found there was, um, the age at which kids uh, had that conceptual insight. And, and that's their first um, formal mathematical conceptual knowledge. I mean, counting and stuff is just rote. Uh, this is actually conceptually understanding number. Uh, the age at which they acquired that was re strongly related to their readiness to learn uh, formal mathematics, arithmetic and so forth, the beginning of um, first grade. And that seemed to be because they couldn't really start to understand the relationships across number, you know, that the numeral five represents one more than the numeral four. So that is kind of number system knowledge. They can't start to be build that network of knowledge until they have this conceptual insight. And so a kid who has that conceptual insight at three and a half has a two year learning advantage over a kid who doesn't get it until they're five and a half, even though they'll both understand that piece by the time they start first grade. So it was really, um, we're, we're hoping to follow up on that study 
and really figure out kind of why we had so much variation in small kids' understanding of this core uh, number concept. Yeah, no, I think that's like, I think, like you said, counting is something that like, that's like the first thing everybody has to know, especially since you can do it like so visually, like you can set out, you know, four mm -hmm. cups or four dogs or whatever, and then just be like one, two, three, four. So then how does it kind of go from that to being able to do like more abstract sort of mathematical concepts? Like yeah. How does that develop? Yeah, yeah. Lear learning the number words, one, two, three, four, and learning to, you know, to label each thing as you count at one, two, three, four dogs. Uh, is important, but that's not enough to kind of boost this insight. What you have to do is make comparisons. Yeah, four dogs, but three cats, or four dogs here and three here, or four toys here and three here. So where they're understanding the number words represent sets and higher number words in the string, when, you know, four is after three, represent one more than the number before that. And it seems that parents who, um, one, uh, count more, deal with larger sets, you know, like 10, 11, 12, rather than just one, two, three, uh, and also do these comparisons, uh, their kids seem to pick it up more quickly than other kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then uh, I kind of like to change it a little bit because I've also heard that people with dyscalculia also struggle with just like shopping or just finances in general. Mm -hmm. So is that something that also parents and like school systems should be going into more like kind of teaching like finances? I mean, that's just like a general like world skill. Everyone needs to know like how to handle their finances, but especially yeah. for those that have math problems. Yeah, 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 that, that's a great question too. Yeah, um, clearly the world's getting more complicated um, and understanding finances, managing your finances, understanding compound interest, like if you're going to take out a loan or something or deposit money in a bank, you know, what's going to give you in the long run uh, is really important. Um, you know, having a really strong foundation in arithmetic and a little bit of algebra really will, you know, is the, the basic math you need for the most part. Um, but a lot of people also need uh, experience connecting that math knowledge to context. So as in solving word problems or whatever, or, or in this case, using it, some direct experience in school it, to solve financial problems or to think about finances. So rather than I think a lot of students just kind of learn the math and that's it, it's for math class, um, but they don't think about, okay, well, it can be applied in all of these settings. And, you know, and some people get it and some people, um, uh, don't. So a little, little bit of help yeah. making that connection is important. Yeah, I think that's so great to hear because even for me, I don't think I have dyscalculia, but even that is something I have difficulty with and I wish school taught more, especially like coming up from high school. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I wanted to ask this because we thought this was really cool of you. We just wanted to learn more about your experience, but uh, we learned that you served on the president's national mathematics advisory panel so what yeah. was that like and like what did you do um, <clears throat> on that panel yeah okay yeah great question yeah so that that was a panel put together by um george w bush kind of as an executive order um to put together this panel to focus on better preparing 
students for success in high school algebra, because that's really critical. If you're going to go on to any science or math or technology or anything, you, you really have to pass that course and do well um, in it. And uh, a lot of US students just weren't doing it. So the panel was designed to kind of look at the research and see what we might do to make things better. So it is a very diverse panel included um, a lot of mathematicians, so, you know, from from Harvard and, and um, a lot of high end schools. So these, these were really um, research mathematicians. Um, Included some math ed folks, uh, people like me, cognitive science folks who focused on the learning component of it. They had teacher training folks on it, had policy folks, people who've worked in like state departments of education and so forth. So, so it was a very diverse and well uh, represented uh, panel. And we all had our goals. Uh, you know, our tasks, our task, my group's task was to look at all of the literature on the cognitive, social, emotional, and other factors that influence students' learning in math. And the mathematician said, okay, what are the key areas of arithmetic and say geometry or whatever that is preparation for algebra? And when they take algebra, what should they know how to do? And what should they understand by the time they come out of the class? So it, it, it was a huge amount of work spread over two years. We went to 13, 13 different trips, various places all around the country, um, MIT, Stanford, individual schools, um, uh, the uh, Fermi Accelerator in Chicago, all of that to have public hearings on various things. So we would invite people to give testimony on this or that, and just the general public could sign up to um, put their two cents in as well. Do you feel like you guys reached your goal with that? Or what was your biggest, sorry, um, learning outcome out of this? Yeah, so we, we produced uh, two documents. One of, it, it, one of them is, you know, a thousand plus pages with all the detailed reports from the various groups. And then one is like a 70 or 80 page um, document foundations for success. And that has all of the key math content areas and all of the key kind of points that we want teachers, administrators, policymakers, and so forth um, to make. And, and, and that's freely downloadable if you just do a Google search on uh, National Mathematics Advisory Panel Foundations for Success, and, and you can just download the, uh, the PDF of it. And you can download the you know the large report as well. Yeah. So what's the support like? What you found in kind of your suggestions and like, oh, this is how you should like structure these math classes. Is that something that like schools, especially like public schools, is that something that they had to adopt, or is that something that they can choose to adopt? They they didn't have to have to to do it. Um, the federal government, you know, as, as a result of the way that the constitution is written, doesn't have direct authority over instruction and education, that's left to the states. So it's more like a, a voluntary document. Mm -hmm. And the, um, one of the things that followed on from that was the uh, Common Core Standards for Mathematics it was based in part on some of the, the work we had done on the, on the math panel. And some states have adopted that. It's more of an arithmetic focused preparation for algebra curriculum. Uh, and some states haven't adopted it yet. The, the, the Gates funded study that, that I mentioned 
was all common core mass standard states. Yeah, yeah so I guess I'm just, I'm just kind of curious like how you got on this board. So I know you said it was an executive order by George W. Bush. So yeah. at that point, was it just like people could almost like apply to be on the board or were you asked to be on the board? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you, you didn't apply. I don't know how I got on the board. They just called me up and said, will you do this? Somebody called me up and like said, an- will you do this? And I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, want to do this. Uh, but I, I eventually agreed to do it. So, so they picked, I, I, I don't know who picked, but somebody put it together and invited people to, to be on it. And wow. I think everybody who was invited um, agreed. To, to do it. I mean, yeah, it's like you get to be, now you get to say you're all like the president's national advisory board and that's just like really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was a huge amount of work, but it was, um, yeah, an interesting experience. I don't know if I want to do, do it again, but I'm glad I did it <laughs> then. And yeah. hopefully some people found it useful. Uh-huh. I, mean, some, I mean, some states adopted it, like you said. Yeah, they they didn't. Um, well, yeah, it it led to uh, or informed the um, Common Core state standards, which was kind of taking s- the basic structure but and putting it in more detail. And um, yeah, a, a number of states that have adopt have adopted that. So yeah, it 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 does seem to have had some effect, and and people cite it and reference it in various venues. Yeah, so I mean, that was like a majority of our questions. So I guess just to kind of like wrap up a little bit. So just kind of giving your perspective, what is like, what is like one of like the main thoughts you want people to take away from this episode? Well, um, a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, even if you're struggling in math and, and we've studied a lot of these kids and we've studied them, studied them longitudinally. So we follow them for five or seven or eight years or whatever. And their math skills get better. So it's not that they can't learn. It just, they're on, uh, for whatever reason, they're progressing a little bit more slowly than um, other kids. <clears throat> um, I also know from some parents and stuff that intense tutoring with these kids can help them uh, catch up. And then more broadly, um, the math curriculum and instruction in this country, in, in my opinion, is not rigorous enough and is not really um, preparing all the students for college or for um, the job market or, or even for dealing with finances or understanding uh, medical treatment, you know, like you're taking your uh, uh, prescription at certain times and, and so forth. All of that is dependent on quantitative knowledge. So I think uh, in, in as much enriching as you can do for kids, um, yeah, the, the better. Now they won't like it, um, I, I can say right now, um, but it's good for them in the long run. Yeah, okay. Thanks for sharing your takeaways um, mm-hmm. for this episode. And if anyone else wants to learn more about your work and what you do, what you study, where can people find more information about that? Yeah, um, good question. I, I, don't, I don't have time for social media and stuff, so I, I don't do any of that. Um, but, but there is a um, MU Mass Study, University of Missouri Mass Study, where we have a webpage 
that's up that has descriptions of our projects. Um, uh, a lot of our publications are available and, and so forth. So, so you, you, can, you can get information mm -hmm. there. And then of course you can also, as I said, uh, Google the National Mathematics Advisory Panel and you can download all of the, the uh, reports that we did. Thank you.